lovelies. Hello, hello. I just wanted to pop in here and say that the sound quality is not great on this recording. It was done through Zoom with limited equipment, but the conversation is so good. I really hope you'll stick around and listen. Enjoy. My darlings, welcome to another episode of Ink Medicine. I am here with Jamal, a person I have not met in person, face to face, but a person I've known on the internet for a little, a little bit, and somebody I felt really great chemistry with right away. And so today I asked him to sit with me and have a have a chat. Will you please introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure, and you know, you come across people in your life that. Though you've never met them in person, and I say this to folks all the time, like Maisha Hill and I are very close. We have never met each other in person, but you just immediately know that they're good people. And so you're a great person, right? Uh, so I'm glad to be with you and sharing space and time with you. Um, introduction, right? Jamal, uh, I'm a whole-ass human being with whole-ass feelings that's joyously imperfect and and. People call me an activist and several other things, but I think the best way to describe myself is just a whole ass human. A whole ass human, that's right. Uh, what are your pronouns? He, him. Awesome. And you are in Texas, yes? Currently? Correct. In Houston? Yeah. Are you from there? Is that part of the world you're from? I'm from Louisiana. Yeah, I'm from Louisiana. I'm from a place called Lafayette. Uh, but Currently, yeah, I guess I'd say he's not travel so much that I don't know, right? <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am, I identify as a gay male, certainly black gay male. Um, the intersectionality there is, is certainly um, interesting in the world that we live in in the times that we exist in where people have decided to weaponize legislation as hate against people that they can't control. Yeah, it's like, you know, it seems like we're doing better. And then here we are back in the 70s or the 60s or wherever the fuck we are in right now. <laughs> that part, that whole, the, all of that. All of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Raphael Warnock, who for the listeners, is a senator from um, Georgia. When he got elected, he, he is a, a minister. Um, no offense to anybody's religious sensibilities, because if you know me, you know that I respect everybody's right to, to exist in whichever way they want. But he, he said something that I found very interesting. He said, when a snake is dying, when you cut its head off, it, it writhes and wriggles, not because it's living, but because it's dying. And it made a ton of sense to me. That analogy made a whole lot of sense to me for a number of reasons. What I think we're encountering is the death of republicanism, the death of far-right republicanism particularly, 
disproportionately young voters are not turned on by hateful rhetoric and trying to tell other people how to live their life. And that's borne out in the data um, around elections, right? And so what we see, I think, from the right is desperation to keep control. And I think we just have to maintain a sense or modicum of courage and standing because when we stand, we give permission for others to stand with us. And so I think we find ourselves in a very unique time with some, under some very unique circumstances. But I think they picked the right set of people to try this with because this generation of folks isn't playing with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is right, but I also am like, they've been dying a long time. They've been dying for way too long. You know, it's been wriggling and writhing for way too long, I would think would be there by now. Agreed. Thanks for allowing me to get my cup of coffee, y'all. Micah's amazing. I, you know, most people be thrown off by that, but I need to get something in my body to keep me awake. So, please. Uh, and also, like, I, this is, uh, I think of this space as like a conversation more than like an interview. I do have questions that I want to ask you and find out more about you, but it's, uh, don't feel like you have to be under a microscope, I guess. Yeah. That's that's not what how I I do the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing the context, and I and I feel welcomed and like a friend. And so, you have set the tone beautifully. Um, but yeah, to your point, I think they have been. Um, I think we find ourselves in just this unique time where everybody is feeling the weight of. Um, the desperation of folks on the right. Um, when you think about our trans brothers and sisters, when you think about people in the gay community as a whole, when you LGBTQIA plus community as a whole, when you think about people banning books about Rosa Parks and trying to get um, Princess and the Frog banned from being played at school, and you think about what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi, how the state let the water infrastructure there collapse like it was a third world country because the city's majority black. When you think about Florida and don't say gay, when you think about back to Jackson, this idea that folks would literally pass legislation to remove the elected judges and elected law enforcement from control of their own city because it's majority black. When you, when you hear the stories of people with eptopic, eptopic pregnancies or, or for, for, for any matter, um, people that are birthing people having to try to convince somebody else that they have a right to have control of their body. When we think about the collective of those things, it's exhausting. And so, you know, I'd say, uh, I think about Mamie Till, and if you've ever been on live while I'm on, I talk about Mamie Till a lot. She said, you know, she was living in the north in Chicago when her son went to, to the south and she, she talked and I'm paraphrasing, but she said, you know, she, before she didn't care what was going on in the south was the business of the south. And she said when it happened to her son, she realized, and I think the direct quote is, when something bad happens to one of us, it had better be the business of, of us all. And I think that's the place we find ourselves. And if we can bridge that gap. If we can bridge the, 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 the gap between people that have been put in the way of harm by folks that, that like to engage in hate, 
and see beyond our circumstance, which is hard, right? Like when you're dealing with it, it's hard. But when we open or take off those blinders and see all of these people and all of these marginalized groups are literally being mistreated by the same group of people, mm-hmm. it gives us power, collective power. So off my soapbox. <laughs> this is this is the soapbox spot. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I'm amazed by people like you who, who do get up every morning and say the thing every day, you know, because I'm, I kind of reached my compassion and my like, sort of these limits of like feelings, right? It's like, I can't have any more feelings. Like I can't, I just can't. I'm, and then of course it comes back and then you, something else touches you super deeply and you feel really deeply about it. Like another murder, another, and then you get to a place again for me, you know, where I'm just like, I can't like the new bill against trans kids, the new, you know, just keeps on going, you know, the shit keeps on going so much. And like, so I'm amazed that you're able to get up, get up and, and, and be up there and, and, and say the things and respond to people online and keep, keep on going. Is that your primary thing that you do? Like activism, kind of political influencing? Is that how, how big, how big of a part of your life is that? You know, I think it. I think it is certainly a part of my life. Probably more than the full time work that I do. It is. It is a part of who I am. And, and and this is not a secret. And I'll offer a trigger warning here. And I hope that this doesn't trigger you. Um, I I had a I had a life changing experience as a kid. Um, for for three years of my life, I was raped by family members, and I think it flip the switch in me, right? Um, I care deeply about people. I care deeply about their safety and about their comfort. And so I move in in, in that way. I, when I use my voice, I use it to protect people, I think, as much as I can, um, to uplift things that will benefit folks without it being a second thought. It's, it's not something that I'm not the... Um, what's the word I want to use? Um, I'm not trying to get sponsorships and I'm not knocking anybody that does have them, but I don't do this work because it benefits me financially. I do it because I care deeply about people. Um, right behind me is a poem by Mary Oliver. And I, uh, it's, it's something that sticks with me in my life that kind of talks about this, this journey for me. And she says, someone I once loved gave me a box full of darkness, and it took me years to realize that this too was a gift. And the darkness in my life, though I wish I had not encountered it, I did, has been a gift that I seek to repay in the work that I do, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a lifestyle, right? Like, I think it just for me, it's like a lifestyle of a life of, of service to others um, without the expectation of something in return. And I feel like when you have a following that knows you on the internet, then it's not, you're not a product that people consume, you're a community. You can create a community out of that. And especially given the work that you do, you know, it's not like you're out there being like, look at my nice outfit, right? You're saying the things follow you, want to listen to the things, the important things, and they agree with you. Or maybe sometimes they disagree with you, but you're creating a community. Like, I bet if you needed something, if you needed a resource, people would people would come and help you. 
I've definitely seen it in mine and mine is much smaller of a following. Yeah, so that, that is absolutely true. People have shown up for me um, in countless ways. And, and you know, uh, when I wanted to go to a protest to be there on the ground, but didn't have the resources, people bought my plane ticket, right? When I wanted to, um, I think one day I put on there that I wanted to go on vacation and somebody reached out and was like, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? How long do you want to be there? Let me help. And and it's beautiful. Much. Yeah, it, it, and it means a lot because it isn't it isn't transactional, right? Like it isn't. Oh, I'm doing this because you do that. It is people doing kind stuff because they care. And one of the things that makes me feel the best about it is that it's never performative, right? Like in the way that I've experienced it. And so. And, and 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 I in turn I think do the same right. Like I try my best to do things for people, but I'm not going to post that. What I do nice for someone isn't to bring me a claim. <laughs> like, and that's the thing that blows my mind. I, I see some of these videos with. I'll use Mr. Beast for an example. I don't know if you know who that is, but he do, does all of these like giveaways. And he went to lunch the other day and. The waitress was, he, he said, what was the, the, the biggest tip you've ever gotten? She's like $50. He said, oh, I have a car for you. It takes her outside to this car that has his logo on it. Like, and it blew my mind. Like, one, why would you record that? If you're doing it out of kindness, what would be the purpose for recording it? Except for to continue to generate revenue that you probably use to buy that car or were donated that car. And so I try my best and I think, the thing that is so um, heartwarming for me is that people do it and don't expect, oh, I'm going to post that I did this. I'm going to post that I did quite the contrary. People are like, please do not say I did this. Please, like, I'd like for it to be private. And that uh, reminds me of the goodness of people in this world. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was my birthday and I, I'm not a big fan of my birthday, but I decided to use it in a, in a way that felt like it was an opportunity. So I have a really close friend who's going through cancer and who can't work as she's going through this journey. She's, you know, self-employed, no family wealth, et cetera. So she's like making do little by little. We're helping out. I'm over there with her, you know, and anyway, but I posted on my Instagram and I said, Hey, it's my birthday. If you would like to buy me a drink, please send me that 10 bucks, that 20 bucks. And I'll, you know, give it to my friend. And I ended up raising $2,000. You know, That's beautiful. send me anything from like $7 to like 300. I was so touched, you know, I was hoping to raise like a thousand, like to help her out with rent next month, but it was awesome. Right. Like it made me feel so good. And yeah, it was not performative at all. It was just people being like, and some people knew me and people I've worked on, you know, tattooed for a long time. And some people I'd never tattooed. They just follow me and they tune in, you know, to my stories. And it was it just, it was so, it was so good and it made my birthday great. You know, maybe it made it kind of like a weird sort of day when I feel really ambivalent about to, it became something great that day. That's beautiful. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. And thank you for doing that work. Um, I, I really, that's moving. Um, and I am always amazed at the selflessness that I that I encounter from people in in the internet streets, if you will, like folks just willing to help. Um, 
and uplift somebody else. And this crazy thing is it's the antithesis of what we see portrayed on the news all the time. It is, it's just like the antithesis of that. It's exact opposite of what that you would think that the world was just this horrible place that did not have good people if you watch U.S. news all the time. <laughs> and it's not the truth. Like, there are people that care deeply. And I think one of the things that we have to we have to realize is like, how do we elevate those voices to drown out the voices? Because the people perpetuating the hate that's being perpetuated are a small group of very loud and wrong people that that hate themselves more than they hate the people that they're trying to target. And their existence has just become harmful to people because they can't control them. So anyway, I digress. No, it's it's so it's so true. Well, there, I have a couple points to make to that effect. So for one, you know, I listen to Dan Savage. I've been listening to his podcast and reading his column and all that since I was like 13, 14 years old. And he's he's really, he drives it home a lot. He'll be like, some anti-gay legislators are generally gay in the closet. And so he, you know, he had a rant. I was listening to his podcast yesterday on my drive home. And he said, you know, he I forget the name, uh, one of the current, I guess the anti-drag um, bill people was found to be making comments and and making like sexy emoji comments on some young gay boys Instagram, like some twenty year old. And then I did some interviews, and the kid was like, um, "This this guy who uses his official checked, you know, a verified Instagram, like some senator, has been making these comments on my Instagram thirst traps since I was sixteen years old. You know, since he was a child. Talk about." you know, fucked up closet groomer, like not the out proud gay people like this fucked up dude in the closet who's making anti-gay hate legislation. I mean, once again, you know, and Dan Dan talks about this all the time. Um, but I was going to say also about like the sort of internet kindness. I think the big difference is people who know you versus people who don't know you. You know, I had a, I posted some tattoos on that. On TikTok, I started TikTok to see if I could get more attention onto my work and onto the podcast through TikTok as a funnel into Instagram. And one of them went viral. I got a 5.4 million views on one piece. And the amount of shit talking in my comments, you know, the amount of like just people just being dicks, like for no reason, right? Just being like, this tattoo sucks. This will, you know, this will be gone. And a few years like this look this is all blown out like none of it is true first of all but just like the amount of people willing to talk shit you know and then when other people were like why are you being a dick people being like don't be so soft it's just the internet it's like no there's people behind every post like i don't have a team of media managers you know like i'm a person my client's a person like why be a dick but people just like are and if and if you say something like you're being a dick they'll be like oh you're your ego can't handle the truth. Like, no, actually, you're just being a dick. Like, I don't, I could just block you or whatever. But that amount of attention, like 5.4 million views, people stop feeling like there's a real person there. And then they just, they become dicks. You know? Have you had that happen with any of your stuff where people just, like, forgot that you're human? Oh, all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people have called me horrible things in my inbox. From the F word to the N word, you name it, I've been called it. Um, my my go to though is I've been called worse by better people. So <laughs> you know, like folks are going to talk shit. And, and here's the thing: the internet 
particularly the fact that folks can say vile and horrible things without showing their face, has become the new KKK hood. Folks can be um, anonymously horrible humans. And, and when they get caught or somebody tracks them down, then, and then they want to be a victim, right? Like this victimization on the right is, is the funniest thing that I've ever seen. They are so desperate to be marginalized because they, 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 they have become akin to taking everything that has some, what they perceive to be benefit to it. So why not be a victim, right? Like, why not act like a victim? Because it benefits me. And so they'll say, oh, well, it was just the internet, right? To your point. And I think when we, when we think that through, you got to think through who you have to be as a human, as a whole human existing in this world to create an account for the sole purpose of creating and generating hate. Like, what are you doing? What is going on in your life that you can sit down and go and attack your example for a reason, a tattoo artist? Like, but you also have these other people. And, and, and I'm going to say this very carefully because I say this a lot, but I, but I need to name it because I think it's it's very true about what's going on on our side of what is going on in this world that creates this division that exists. We also have people on our side of this fight that will nitpick to fucking shit anything everybody says merely because it gives them clout, right? Like it makes them look important. And I'm going to give you an example. And, and, and I want to be very deliberate about this. this this choice of words because I'm trying to paint a picture and my intent is not to be harmful. And so if it is that way, if that's my impact, I certainly want you to tell me, Michael. But I want to use this example because it's, it's the truest example. People were saying women should have the right to choose when it came to uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned. I use the term birthing person. I do because it's more appropriate. But I find issue or take issue with people eviscerating folks for not knowing the language. And we're talking about people that are not of our generation. We're talking about older people who are actually fucking trying to help. They don't know better. Not, not like they don't know better and they're doing something extremely harmful or intentionally trying to erase the existence of people. We're talking about people are saying, I stand with you. People that can have children should have the right to abortion. By their words, they're not suggesting, right, in my opinion, that people that identify as men that can get pregnant shouldn't be able to have access to, to reproductive health care. They're saying that they believe, yeah, yeah, like that's not what they're saying. But people on the internet were, were just taking people's posts, reposting and then eviscerating them instead of going to them and saying, hey, hey, this is the new language. Like this is language that I, I just want to offer this in the spirit of health and sincerity because I know your intent is good. But we spend so much time nitpicking everything. And it has a chilling effect on people. Then folks are like, fuck this. I'm not saying anything anymore because it's going to get nitpicked to death. Is it harmful to someone that identifies as trans? I'm not trans. I don't know how the impact lands for trans people in the trans community. So I, I want to up with that in that moment. But I also know 
none of us, none of us get it right all the time. And so I try to deal with intent, with the, my lens tuned to impact, rather than just taking somebody's post. If I post something about a person on my profile, they are going to get shit. I don't, I do my best not to do that. Like, I barely, like, you have to be like a politician or somebody that, like Donald Trump and what he's doing. Like, I will say stuff about it. I will say stuff about a business if they're doing shitty things. I'm not going to single out and individualize a person so that people can go attack them and have had conversations with some of my followers about doing that. Sorry. Some people fucking deserve it. They get no, it. I, I mean, deserve it. they do. No, no. They do. But very do. few. No, you're right. I think, you know, that that problem that you're talking about, it's kind of like when you're in a relationship with someone, you know, and you're not maybe, maybe some people are not super emotionally involved because they have trauma, right, et cetera. We all have some trauma. Um, and you're with your partner and they said something that hurt your feelings. They didn't mean to, or maybe they did kind of mean to, but whatever, you have fights with your partner that you love and then you start fighting them. And it becomes this thing like you against me instead of like, we're here together instead of being right. I just want to be understood and I want to just go on and keep loving you. Right. And I feel like that's the problem we face is different sectors of folks on the, on the left. Right. We're like, we are in the same team. We do love each other, but you hurt my feelings. So I'm going to just take that personally and not get past it because like you must you like I'm right. I want to be right, you know. And that's I mean that's the whole issue with really everybody, everywhere. But we're, yeah, we're very sensitive. All everybody's really sensitive. They are sensitive. We're sensitive. Like we're all sensitive, and we all need to just kind of be less individualistic. I think, you know, and just kind of be like, what is the common cause? And also, I get, you know, that a lot of us can't trust each other. Black folks can't trust white folks. Women can't trust men. Trans folks can't trust cis folks. Like. Not that we can't, but a lot of us don't feel like we can, right? We don't feel like we 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 can see each other's experience, so we don't feel like we can understand and and really um, accept and and fully uh, sit there and listen to each other and sit there and take it. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Makes sense. I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? There are plenty of people that have good intentions that where it comes comes out the wrong way. I think the 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 reverse of that though is the the road to whatever heaven you choose to go to is the extension of grace. And I I, I have done Mike uh, some fucked up shit in my life to people. Part trauma, part just being a shitty human. I think when I was younger, and I really worked hard and i'm thankful one for the grace that people ex extended to me in, in my growth and development as a trauma survivor etc but i'm more thankful or most thankful for the grace i've extended myself and so i think when we think about how we engage each other how we interact and, and love on each other I think the underpinning of that is grace and i think on on our side of this fight because right like there are some things to your point that are that I'm just, I'm hard pressed to extend grace to. Donald Trump would be one of them, right? Like I'm just, there's no grace for me to give because you're just, you do horrible things to people over and over and over again and had a lot of money and your family had a lot of money, money so you've gotten away with it, right? But that's kind of different for me. But I do my best 
even where people have done any extremely harmful things to extend grace up to and including the people that assaulted me, right? Like had the conversation with one of them and extended grace. I don't forgive. I don't trust you. I never will, but I'm going to give the extension of grace. And and I'm not going to get in that story, but I also understand that not that it's right, but that trauma people that perpetuate trauma sometimes are trauma survivors themselves, if that makes sense. And so a lot of stuff have gone, has gone into me healing myself, but I think part of the world that we live in is people don't have mirrors in their houses. They don't see themselves in the shit that they do. They only can see what other people do. And it causes what we see now. Like, let me go tell birthing people what they should do with their bodies. Let me go tell trans people. They can't exist. Right. Yeah. We just passed trans visibility. So let let me elevate that. Like we we need to make sure that we are protecting our trans brothers and sisters. And and one of the cities that I used to live in, New Orleans, at one point people were targeting trans women, just targeting and killing trans women. And so I um I want to say Back to what Mamie Till said, like, how can you be okay with somebody being murdered, anybody being murdered, just gunned down? Like, with a, like, how can you be okay and exist in this world and be okay with that? And so I want to elevate that and, and say to say out loud with my voice that my trans brothers and sisters are important to me, very important. And in any way that I can be supportive of causes that they wish for me to elevate, I certainly want to extend that, extend my platform as a place that that can be done. So I I can understand more someone like you who's just done so much, clearly so much work and who wants to be living, to live in peace with yourself, extending grace to somebody who abused you. I can understand that more, you know, in a way like I can be like, okay, you, you extending grace to this person. I can extend grace to this person because you did, right? this person that hurt you. But then there's situations where, and it's it's different, very different. But did you see that viral video? It was a few months ago. It was here in San Francisco. There's this white gallery owner spraying, hosing down a, a black woman on the sidewalk. Okay, I didn't that see that. So red. That, I just, I think I haven't been that livid. In Like, I don't know, it's been a while, you know? Maybe since Brianna's murder, I don't know. Like it, it's been a while. You know, like murders have happened, and it's super intense and it's super sad. It's super intense. But this situation, like there was just something so inhumane, and there was so much intent. You know, in, in the way that he did it, in the way that he pointed the hose at this woman on the sidewalk, like for just existing, for just being there in the space. Mm-hmm. But that's like I can't. I can't understand like how and it's not my place to extend grace to him what i want to do is go bomb his fucking gallery you know to like <laughs> break his white shit on the walls like i want i want this man to fucking die like i want him to like die in pain because i can't understand being so vile that you would do such a thing yeah, yeah. so i think i think you said the most beautiful the most beautiful part of what you just said is that the extension of grace in that situation doesn't belong to you, right? Like it belongs to the person that was hosed down. And and in those moments, 
in those moments where I am in a situation where harm has been perpetuated against a person, my first responsibility is to the health and hopeless of that person, the person that was harmed, right? I can't extend grace to you. That grace belongs to the woman who the water hose was was turned on. Um, it is reminiscent of a vile time in the history of this country to have water hoses turned on a person. I too am angry that it happened, but I think the most important part of, I think the way I move, the way I work, I extend grace when it is my grace to extend. I do not extend grace. And there are situations where I'm unable, I'm not yet ready to. I can think of a situation, but if I say it, it, it would give it away. And it is, it is, it's much, much larger, has much more lar- larger implications. But what I'd say is, in that instance, I am not yet ready to extend grace. And I'm also okay with that too. It is my practice to extend grace, but it's mine to give in the moment that I'm ready to give it. It took me almost 20 years to extend grace in the situation that I I just previously referred to that happened to me. Um, And so I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't, I think that it's important that where we have, um, Grace to extend, it's ours to give. And if something, if some harm was, for example, perpetuated against someone that was in my circle that I knew, my first responsibility is to their health and wholeness, not to to have a conversation with them about extending grace to a person. But I'm happy to, where I ask, to offer my lived experience in extending grace to help guide them in that conversation on their prompting, right? Like on them asking, how do I extend grace in this situation? Not showing up with a Bible and dumping it and saying, well, God said, as, as people on the right would do, right? Cherry pick what's convenient and throw away what they don't like. So I, I completely agree with you. I don't disagree at all. And it's okay to be angry. I say this all the time on my page. Love is accountability as well. Love cannot be um, rainbows, unicorns, and leprechauns coming out of dragon's asses, right? Like, love is also a very real um, tool of accountability. And I can love you enough to say, hey, you're a fucked up individual. This is why. This is how you harmed me. I love you, but I don't like you right now, and I don't want to be around you. And for all, for all <clears throat> that it matters in the way that I see love in the world, I do love everybody. I was right? like, ask, do you feel like you love every single person? I do. I do, but I extend love. Maya Angelou talked about, um, and, and if you've not seen this video, um, she says, I am a human being, nothing human can be alien to me. And she, she goes on to talk about having all of the requisite components. And she, she lists a set of component, like groups, the brute, the brute, the batterer, the bigot. And she says, I have the capability as a human, to do all of those things that people do. So nothing human can be alien to me, right? Like I could extend grace because I have and can do horrible things too, right? Um, to the extent that it matters, I love people enough 
I very, there are very few people on this earth that I would never, like, I'm just not interested in having a conversation with ever. Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump. But something happened to their kid. My heart would hurt because it's a kid and that kid doesn't deserve that existence. If something happened to them, they fell out of a window. Like, they're human enough for me to have sympathy and compassion. And, and, And I say this too all the time on my page. If I hate like they hate, what separates me from being them? What separates me from being them? I am them with a different coat on and I refuse. I will not offer them abandoning who I am because they want, they hate me so much that they want me to hate them back. Will not give it to them. I guess I see it as a difference of if I hate them. I hate them individually for exactly what they have done, or they hate me in general for being an immigrant, for being a queer, for being a you know a trans spectrum person, for being. Mm-hmm. But it's like my hate is particular; their hate is in general. <laughs> and I guess I feel better about that. But no, you, I mean you're right. It's uh, it separates us from our own humanity. But it's it's so hard to not you know like this man with the hose. I was just like, if I just if I had access to you, you know. I would say some things. I would do some things. Yeah, no, I mean, that visceral response is human, right? Like wanting to protect somebody. I'm sure if I were there, I would have probably been physical with him, right? Like, just so that I'm saying that, like, in that moment, my visceral response would be to protect at all costs and stop harm. Yeah. And, and, And listen, this is the other thing that I say to people all the time. It's okay to have consensual reality, right? Like, I don't, I don't think any different about people that say, I hate this person because they did this. Because you're a whole ass human with emotions too, right? Like, who am I to say you should be exactly like I am? Because again, that is a tool of white supremacy culture that exists to control, to, to have a right to comfort at somebody else's expense, right? Like, if you hate them, that's something they got to work out with you, right? Like that's your, that's, that's the choice that they have made by their actions. And so there comes this accountability component. So I appreciate you elevating that. And I, and I certainly respect and appreciate you sharing and elevating the, the counterpoint to my point, because who am I to suggest what other people should think, do, feel, or the way that they should act? Nobody. I mean, if when you're, you're a movement leader now, so there's that. You don't think of yourself that way, but I think, I mean, yes, I think so. You know, when you got all these people listening to you, yeah, you're a movement leader for sure. I think I'm just a loud mouth. (laughs) Well, you got a, you got a mouth that wants to say things and you got things to say and that's, you know, and you're, you're saying them well, you're saying them in a way that people can hear them. You know, not everybody can do that. Very few people can do that. In fact. Most people should even not say the thing like they just uh, anyway. Um, but I wanted to also like, I mean, this is the very pertinent, timely conversation of our time. But I want to know, like, who are you? Like, who are you? Who were you in high school? What what was your high school like? Who were you then? Like, and maybe that was affected by the events of your childhood. So I have always kind of been socially distant from people 
I love people and will operate in that love, but I don't let people in. And so high school, I was definitely that person a whole lot more. Um, I trained. Uh, I trained. I was in Naval uh, NJROTC um, cadet in high school. I went to undergrad on a scholarship from the Navy. I trained to be a Naval officer in college. Wow, damn. Yeah. And I got out of having to go and take that commission, which I'm 100% thankful for, because I definitely didn't want, um, I originally wanted to be a surface warfare officer, kind of started getting pulled in the direction of being a submarine warfare officer. I'm 6'3". I can't be on a submarine. I'm too tall to be on a submarine. And so I um, got out of that um, and started my career off as an educator. I was a high school English teacher. And then you name it, had some district positions. What what were your, did you get to include works of literature that you wanted to include in your, in what you were teaching? To some extent, yes. Um, I'm a, I'm a lover of poetry. I love, 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 love poetry. Nikki Giovanni, um, Langston Hughes, Tupac Shakur, um, Emily Dickinson. I used to love teaching Dickinson because I think her her relationship with death was so profound. Um, and so I loved teaching poetry and infused a lot of that in my teaching. I use rap music um, as as the poetry that it is to to help students understand uh, lyrically what poetry was. And I've also always probably been a little bit of a, of a what's the word I want to use here? Um, renegade. So I, I pretty much did what I wanted to do uh, when I taught. And I, I definitely was the teacher, the teacher that was in the union that would push the administration that, that, that didn't mind going to the mat on a fight um, on behalf of kids and on behalf of my colleagues. So. So it was a public school then? It's a union? Oh, yeah. But I, I have worked at some charter schools. I've worked both. I've worked harder in traditional public. And each of those bring um, some very unique differences. What happened, for example, in New Orleans is a travesty. They have destroyed New Orleans public schools. Um, if you look the, the district is like 90-something percent charter school, and they are not making academic progress for students, and then they get closed by the state for not having what they need for children, and then they close it down, and another organization pops up miraculously with the very same people that ran the last one and open a new one. It's, it is um, charter schools, particularly when they are created for minority students are very, very interesting places. And, and, and I don't want to get too far off into this, but I'd say two things have been very true that I realized when we think about what charter schools did, it's a school to prison pipeline, um, having students have hand signals to go to the bathroom is strange to me. Having them walk on one side of the hallway without free will was strange to me. And then you look at some of these people in, in New Orleans, this was a prime example, there was a charter school executive director whose child 
did not attend the charter school that she was running. And so if this school isn't good enough for your child, then how is it good enough for these other children? And, and then you, when, when they dug further, what they found was that her child was in a Montessori school. And if you know anything about the model, Montessori model, it is free will. Students go to the bathroom on their own. They, they're taught to just exist on their own without needing people to um, ask permission for every single thing that they do. And so when we think about how some charters operate, we find them to um, mimic greater society in, in, in terms of the duality of society, how there are different rules for the rich. I don't even know how I got down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you're, you're not teaching now or you're still teaching? I'm not. Is that what made you leave? Like the disparity and the lack of resources? Mm, I think I just decided to do something different. Mm. I think I just decided to do something different. Yeah. So what are you doing? A little of this and a little of that. Okay, <laughs> cool. I do some project management work. Really good with systems, processes, procedures, and that sort of stuff. Um, we didn't talk about any tattoo stuff, and we're on ink medicine. Tell me, do you have do you have tattoos, or was this your first one going to be a first one when you first approached me in the summer? I have about ten or eleven. Okay, you have a bunch of tattoos. Yeah, yeah, I do have a ton of tattoos. What has, um, what have that ability to decorate your body permanently? What has that meant to you in the, in your life? Um, my tattoos are reminders of things. Sometimes they are, um, reminders of overcoming. So I have a phoenix on my side. It's just a reminder of of the life I used to live and the life that I'm living now. Um, the changes in my life, and so. It, it has given me the opportunity to express my story on my body in a way that that um, elevates to me, right? Because my tattoos are for me. They're not for other people. Like other people see them, but certainly my tattoos are for me and a reminder of certain situations in my life or things that I, I value in my life. And so, um, yeah. Do you feel like you see them and you think reminder or... Do you feel like you still have that association or is it just have they become a part of your body in the way where they're just part of your body and not separate? Every time I see them, I am reminded of, of certain things in my life. Um, it's my favorite tattoo um, is I love my mother dearly. She has given so much so that I could have the things that I have. So my favorite tattoo is her signature. It's, she's physically signed mm-hmm. um, with my tattoo artist and my tattoo artist tattooed it on me. And it's, it's, it's a frequent reminder of, the, of what I owe her for having given so much of her life to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Is she still alive? Yes, she is. Yes. Um, yes. How did you how did you find me last summer when you decided I looked I looked online to see honestly 
And there, this is, is true in every industry. Um, and I'll, I'll use myself for an example. Folks will reach out to me and I respond. I try my best to respond to people that message me on Instagram. And people are always amazed by that. <clears throat> and I can understand why, because there are people that exist in that world that think that they are bigger than other people, right? Like they exist in a way that like, so I was, I basically was looking for somebody whose page didn't look like they were a fucking asshole. <laughs> I mean, just, just so that I'm clear, like, and, and look, I, I believe that tattooing is an art form, but you can be an artist without being an asshole. And I saw that on your page when I, when I was coming to San Francisco and I said, let me try to reach out. And then things got crazy, but, um, I still got to come back and get that accomplished. Yeah, you got to come back. That's right. Got to share a mocktail or a cocktail. I don't know if you drink, but something. Hang out and have a good time, too. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I mean, now also we have like a base, you know? Mm -hmm. We got an hour of conversation down. Now we got a base. We can just start off from the next hour instead of having this first hour. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta get some ink on your skin. I would love to do that. Cannot wait. I cannot wait. Um, I need to decide what I want to get. I am so indecisive. Well, it doesn't very need to... I hear that you, your tattoos are about reminders and like specific things in your life. But sometimes we just want to decorate ourselves. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true too. Like make it pretty. Make make it like accentuate the body in a way that feels you know like it elevates who you are from the inside to the outside kind of enhances the spirit physically absolutely agree absolutely agree with that it doesn't they don't all need to be deeply meaningful they can just be like about the energy you know yeah yeah absolutely how's your trip to you went to amsterdam right i went to berlin Berlin, there it is. Yeah, How about Berlin? Berlin's fucking amazing. It's just like one of my favorite. <laughs> oh, it's so. I think the thing that I like the most about it is that no one gives a shit about you there in the best way. You know, like, I, you know, I live in the Bay Area. Like, it's not like people really stare at me, but I notice that people will still kind of be like, huh, you know, especially now with like the current shit show of a situation and the pronouns and everybody being angry about the pronouns um but berlin just no one gives a shit it doesn't matter if you're walking out you know walking around with looking pierced tattooed whatever if you're i don't know people just don't look at you in the same way they don't care about you but then they do care about you but like mm -hmm. you know you can be yourself in a different way there so i like that it's also just like it's full of amazing Turkish food that's cheap, plentiful, and delicious. <laughs> there's cafes everywhere. There's spot like oh, they also really like to um, use the spaces. They they like to reuse the spaces. So like they have this old airport in the middle of Berlin that's no longer an airport. That's just space for people to be. The whole flight field is just space. You know, nobody built a mall on it. Nobody build a parking lot on it people just get to use that space however they want 
And that's mm-hmm. what I like about Berlin. It's a city for the people in a way that no city in the States feels like it is. Yeah. And it's gay. It's so gay friendly, you know, being gay there is, is, is a good thing. Like people coexist there really well too. You know, there's um, Berliners with immigrants with, you know, all different kinds of folks there. And, you know, the originally, you know, I started going to Berlin because uh, I had a, I had a lover for a few years who lived there. And I remember coming in the summer and their pride, their pride was alternative pride. It wasn't, they didn't have all the corporate shit that we have here for pride. It was all alternative pride. It was a big march. It was still very political. And their contingent of people of color included immigrants, which I really liked because there's like sort of this separation here of immigrants and people of color. But like, we could share space in a different way. You know, like people don't have to say like, I'm also a person of color if they're not, but like being an immigrant is its own experience. But there people share space in that way. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. And there's just, you know, the city is full of art. I mean, there's art everywhere. There's public art everywhere. I highly recommend, I would say, you know, not that I've been everywhere all over Europe, but where I have been in Europe, Berlin remains at the very top of the cities. I'll have to check it out, go out there and go to the clubs and experience the nightlife, which I enjoy doing. I, I'm a, I love a good cl- I love a good bar, not a good club. I don't know that I dance, but I definitely enjoy a good craft cocktail or a regular old beer sometimes. I mean, the gay man scene there is like it's stellar. It's like the best. Yeah. Or like if you're into king, <laughs> any kind of like sexuality stuff, any but gay gay men really this is this is the place to be, you know, for gay men. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, I'll be excited to hear what you think of it. Also, like I yeah, like anytime I'd go to Berlin, anytime. The best tattoo there's some amazing tattoo art coming out of Berlin. Like over the years, the stuff I'd see online that was the most innovative, the most interesting, the most artistic was coming out of Berlin. I want to know what's a, what's a small thing or two that's been making you happy lately. Like something really small, you know, just from a cup of coffee to a nap, kind of a small thing. Pilates, which I didn't, so I had, I don't know if you saw this in my story, but I went to, uh, I started going to Pilates um, with a, a young woman by the name of Heather. Erdman. She's absolutely phenomenal, but I went the other day and it's so interesting how your body deals with things that it encounters. <clears throat> So I went and I'm just using this equipment and I cannot remember the name of all the equipment in Pilates because it's just it's, it's new to me, right? Like second session. And I was coming off of talking about the Trump indictment and and, and got some hate from that. And I was in there. 
one, I felt like I had space to cry, and I did. Um, and I, I, I feel like there, there's something we hold on to things in our body, in our physical body, that things will help to work out, right? Like just to, to work it out of you. And I was doing it, and I just started crying. And she's like, yep. And she asked, she was very kind and just kind of talked about it. And I left from there. And I felt like a weight had been lifted off of my soul. So Pilates for that that long answer. Um, food always brings me joy. Food is the other thing. I am a huge, like I love to eat. Love, love, love to eat. Um, and that has brought me a lot of joy here recently. Like going and having a good dinner with somebody. Um, and, and, and I would add to that list because I think it's important. Um, it is going on dates here recently too. Like I have been on a few dates <laughs> that have brought me joy. And, and not for the reasons of like, oh, this I went on this date with this attractive guy, but much more like I have been, I have found out and been more vocal about what I like and don't like and, and knowing what I like and don't like. So it has been very telling. Um, and I think I, I would say therapy has been helpful to me in that regard. And so going on those dates and being able to sharpen those skills because typically if I don't one-on-one -on -one like that, I try my best not to hurt people's feelings. And sometimes it has it has previously had the opposite effect of me, like allowing things that were boundary crossing for me, but me not being comfortable setting the boundary because I didn't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, and I went with someone that I met on a dating app. And they asked for my phone number. And as a rule, I generally try not to give my number out. Right? And so, <laughs> and so the guy, like, went on the date. It was okay. It was okay. He was a nice guy. It was okay. But he wanted my number, and he asked a couple of times. And then I finally said to him, I said, I have told you no twice now. And I'm, I want to set this boundary very clearly for you, right? Like, the answer is no. Please don't ask me again, because now it's crossing a boundary for me and when i'm ready to share my phone number with you i will right like I, I and so that has brought me joy being able to say no to people right like in situations where i'm most uncomfortable and, and typically in in physical or dating situations my 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 trauma shows up the greatest. So anyway, sorry, that's a very long answer. Oh, that's awesome. I, <laughs> I, love, I love this for you. And also I think that's a rule most like people don't employ more often. Like, of course, your phone number, especially now that we live with our phones, like next to us, this is a very, it's a very intimate thing to share with somebody who might, who you, you might not want to interact with. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be sending the message. Like I respond pretty quickly to everything. I think like, I'm pretty like much like I'll respond. And so if you're sending me a message on the app or you're sending me a message on my phone, the difference is almost non-existent. Like you're just sending me a message and I'm responding to your message. So having my number gives you what benefit. And so anyway, yeah, no, no, no. It's it's been good. And and I've had some really interesting dates and some I've met some people that like straight up been able to say, like, yeah, 
this isn't, I'm not interested with, in you in that way, but I am interested in being your friend. If you're interested in having a friendship, interested in having a friendship, and we can have a, a, a conversation for three hours about sexualization in, in gay dating scenes. Like folks literally just want to kind of get in your underwear <laughs> in, in my community in a way that in some instance, instances almost predatory. Like it, it, it is, it gives me, it sickens me that folks have like no scruples on those apps to, to like ask you for nudes when their face isn't even up. Like what would make you think that you could objectify my body that way when you're not even showing your face or don't even have the courtesy to show your face? So anyway, yeah. I think what gives them, gives them that idea is because a lot of guys will go for it. And I imagine you get a lot of attention on those apps. Like you're probably somebody people really want to connect with and get in the pants. Yes, and yes, and because I'm not, I don't bite on it as much. Folks then are not interested, right? Like I think, I think. I know that I'm attractive. I think people think that I'm attractive, right? Like not being arrogant. I'm I'm comfortable with who I am, how I look at everything. Um, I think people, certain people find me attractive. And and listen, I'm not ashamed. Like, I'll keep up with the best of people. And I don't want this to go, go left too far. But like, when I'm ready to do that, and we're both ready to do that, like, I'm, I'll get down with the get down, right? But until I am, so I'm curious, Ben. Let me ask you a question. You know the term demisexual. You know that term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like it's coming more and more into just like my space of talking with people. You know, and I've had my partner for a few years. We're not. I mean, she's got another partner, but I'm not interested in dating others. So it's not really been like something I've thought about from experience. But it's really. It feels like there's a much better understanding and queer culture about demisexuality which I believe I'm one of those people, you know, I need to have a connection with somebody before I can feel sexual towards them. So Mm -hmm. has that entered, has that conscience entered the gay men's world or is that mostly here on the kind of more queer, non-binary, lesbian sort of scene side? Oh, I'll say this. Yeah, I think to some extent it has. I think for me, and what I'm describing, it is much more like an issue of consent, right? Like of mutual consent um, around sex than it is me having to have a, I, I don't want to be objectified. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want people to ask me for pictures of my body. I don't want people to, unless I've invited that. Um, I think to the extent that it matters, I have to be intellectually attracted to a person to be in a relationship with them. I certainly have and have had friends with benefits, right? Like we, we are never going to be a couple. We just, our worlds don't align that way. And, and they know it. And it's again, consensual in that way. I think whomever I end up with for the rest of my life will need to, we will both need to elevate each other or stimulate each other intellectually 
a, a good conversation on politics does it for me, right? It doesn't do it for everybody, but a good conversation on politics does it for me. Um, turn me on that way. And, and I don't know if it's even turned me on sexually. It's like turned me on intellectually. Like could argue with and, and, and feel satiated having had that argument. Well, but that's why what I'm like, you know, I mean, maybe Demi is not the word and I wasn't trying to put that label on you without you putting it on yourself. But like, yeah, I think there's something too. like some people, you know, somebody walks into the room and they're like, I would have sex with that person. I've never been that person. I could be like, that person's beautiful, but that's it. Right. But like that piece of where like, I have to know somebody, I have to connect with them in some way. I have to feel safe and comfortable. And then, yeah, if they have an amazing brain, that will be really hot. That'll be part of what's interesting about them for sure. Yeah, like there's some there are some um very, very, very attractive um male politicians on the left. And and oof, yes. And, and and just to elevate, like I didn't I didn't think that you were naming how I was sexually attractive. I did not get that opinion from your your question or comment at all. I think I think the best way to describe me is probably sapiosexual. Cool. I love that you've had some good dates. That's I think, you know, everybody can live a really happy, good life without a partner. But if you want a partner, I think that road of discovery is is there's nothing, there's not no other w- way of learning that can give you the same things, I think, in that specific way of relating to another person. One can be fine without it, but it, you know, if you want it. I'm, it makes me happy that you're making those steps and and having receiving joy and, and lessons that you've been wanting and needing to learn along the way. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. and I still have to investigate. Right, like, I, I don't know. Maybe if I do get married one day, it might need to be an open relationship. I don't know, right? Like, because I don't want to eat chicken every night. Right, like I don't want to have the same chicken every night for dinner. I just. I, but that's a that's a conversation, Micah, for another day. If that's chicken, a, <laughs> listen, if you have the right chicken, your chicken can uh the chicken will be comforting and the chicken will be different every day, you know? It's still chicken. It's still chicken. <laughs> I guess I'm a chicken kind of person. I love my chicken. But I have to say, no, you I, know, mean... I think the cool thing, especially about how we live now, like with all the crap that we're going through, there's also so much newness, right? And new ways that we're, that we're allowed by society to live. And for me to like be with a partner who's got another partner and have that be super, feel that really legit. Like it's not a, oh, like when I meet somebody who is going to be my monogamous partner, I will leave this person. Like that's not how it is. I'm just like, I could be in this for the rest of my life with this person and she could be with me and her other partner for the rest of her life. And that will be... It, this will work, you know? Yeah. So that, that's a possibility. And that wasn't always a possibility. When we first were really getting into it, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. And I would think about breaking up with her all the time because I still had all this stuff, like my mom and my, my head, like, this is, you can't do this and this is not going to work. And it took me a long time. It took me a couple of years to wade through the bullshit and just be like, but I love this person. She meets my needs. I can do this. Like, this is fine. This is be- the best thing I've ever had. Know and and it's it's beautiful. It's perfect, really. And I have all this time. You know, she's here a week, and then the next week she's not here, and I get to like record my episodes, and I get to like go see friends and do my, you know, go to the pottery studio. And I mean, I could do that if she was here, but I feel more free to do it when she's not here. You know. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
Uh, it's, I mean, you can like tailor make your, your relationship and your life exactly how you want. I mean, I really hope you feel that freedom and that you'll, you'll take advantage of that freedom. So I think oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. You're a busy person and I appreciate your time. Um, and I really just, I want you to come over here again. We can go eat things and I'll tattoo you and it'll be fun to spend some time with you in person. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me. I, I am humbled that you would ask little old me to take a podcast episode. I, it is it is always a, a humbling experience to be invited into a room to share space and with such a beautiful soul. So thank you so much. 